Marvelous Pod, where we'll be covering the latest MCU cinematic offering, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I'm Laura, and today I'll be flying into the forever and beautiful sky with my co-hosts, Abby. Salutations. And Matthew. Hello. So, my favourite trash pandas, what did we think? Need you ask. <laughs> I mean, no, because you've been messaging me, but let's pretend that hasn't happened. For the benefit of our good listeners. Um, if you if you heard the Guardians two pod, you'll be delighted, I'm sure, to know that nothing has changed, and uh, everything has improved. And I'm just delighted. What a what a film! When out came straight back in, watched it again, and I really <laughs> needed. It is a long time since I've done that with a film, and I really needed that film right now. Mm-hmm. What a treat! Very good. Yes. 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 <laughs> Matthew. Uh, loved it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Really good ah, film. Yay! Yes. yes. Good. Not not without you know possible improvements to be made, but mm-hmm. you know very mm-hmm. good. A solid return to form for the MCU. And, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but it feels like it points out how lackluster Phase Four was. Having mm. just done our Phase Four retrospective, to then have something that I said I wanted the MCU to get back into its swaggering days, where we just thought it could do no wrong. And this felt like that. So. I'm really mm, excited nice to hear more from you about that. And I am so happy that you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, how about you? Um, yes, this is going to be a bit of a sweeping the board because I think it's the best Marvel film since Endgame. Personally, I prefer No Way Home and Black Widow because of my you know affinity and attachment to those characters. But I do think, as I've seen it twice now, I'm seriously contemplating a third time which has been a very long time since I've mm-hmm. contemplated that with a Marvel film. Um, and so I do think, yeah, the, the big thing is just, it sounds really dodgy, I need, a, I need a film to help me feel. But there is something about when it has an impact on you, and mm-hmm. similar to Endgame, where oh, there was both the crying and the laughing, and the, you know, the whole spectrum of emotions. And, um, and much as I really adored No Way Home and Black Widow, this is probably has had more impact on me since I've seen it. So, as I always do, I've listened to lots of different pods and everything discussing it, and I am crying listening to them talking about certain things. I am crying thinking about certain things in the film just when I'm, you know, on the way to work or something. (laughs) And there's something about something hitting you that deeply in the emotions. um, Yeah, it's. I really hope it is a, a return to form. And as you say, it does... It makes me kind of realise what was missing with some of the other films in Phase 4, where it was, you come out and you go, oh, yeah, that was, that was good. Yeah. That was an action film. Yeah, stuff happened. Mm. There was a dimension or two, whatever. <laughs> Possible worlds. But one thing I think is really interesting about this film is I've listened to a few pods as well, and everyone seems to have a different thing that made them cry. Everybody has cited a different line or scene. Mm. And I think that's quite something hmm. yeah I'd agree with so that. later I think I would like to have everyone answer the question what made you cry okay yeah. but before that did, 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 did we well we are making assumptions here did this film ring manly tears from you yeah I did I did cry at this oh, okay yeah. good hmm. good which like the only other example I can really cite of films making me cry is Spock's death so Ooh. oh wow and and quite often you know if someone with down syndrome succeeds or triumphs that that will yeah. that will always touch me as well mm-hmm. you know 
my aunt was Down syndrome. So just to sort of explain why that always resonates. <laughs> Not just yeah. like, oh, I've picked a cause. <laughs> but we're talking high-level emotional feels. I think this film yeah. kind of found a feel for everyone and just tapped it mm. just enough to get a, a mm-hmm. few tears. And yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah. Uh, so first watch I found quite stressful because it was such a dark tone. And we went to some pretty dark places, but I just didn't trust where we were going with this. Because okay. there were a number of things where I thought, I'm sorry, this is a 12A. <laughs> that shouldn't be happening. And so then it was kind of, well, I, I genuinely don't know what's coming next. And I'm worried. Right. Which was the opposite of how I found with Doctor Strange 2. What I found with Doctor Strange 2. Because there you had loads of really obvious horror tropes. But I was so, the tone wasn't threatening. Yeah. And I was so in this sort of comfort zone of, it's Marvel, it's fine. Yeah, it's amazing the difference in tone that they manage. And with the second watch, even just that very first scene where um, the high evolutionary is reaching into the cage, the music cue on that, it took this towards Baby Rocket, and -hmm. the music cue on that, it's so threatening. Um, Yeah, very impressive. Mm. I think the darkness is definitely as good a place to start as any um mm-hmm. i on um i think it was on the fade to black podcast and i want to say it was hannah who mentioned it on that to be fair um and they mentioned when they were talking about kind of things that are scary and of course we should say as we always do i suppose that we talk about all the things that happen in the films in detail um mm-hmm. you know spoilers but the bit where they kind of pull the face off um and they were talking about um and obviously I've, I've forgotten this film existed at all, but apparently in Captain America, um, you know, there's like a Red Skull character and that's quite frightening yeah. to look at. Um, <laughs> and this is a good point because when I cast my mind back, I can remember thinking, I don't really want to see that in a cinema. Um, and and I didn't. And that, that was there quite a lot. And I thought that was a good point because that was a while ago and it was quite frightening then. And we've had time. Yeah, it was very different things with the Red Skull. <laughs> I'll remind you, Abby. The, the character who's like cut, a red skull. Yeah. I don't know why he's called that. Villain was that his name one. before? <laughs> <laughs> and it just really worked out when he yeah. took the serum. Um, it's cartoony. He pulls off it. You know, mm. The way the skin comes off like it's a, um, it's Mission, a Mission Impossible yeah. mask. Mm. Um, and underneath, he is literally just a red skull. It's not... Uh, but at the time, it was kind of. I think there's there's more goopiness and more realism in mm. this, but there's also like a decade of cinema. But yeah, I I, just, I don't put them in the two the same category. They did all. also mention the melting Nazis in the um, was it PG <laughs> Indiana Jones, which yeah. definitely goopy. <laughs> yeah, but they do keep using the words face off through it like they do, they, they do oh, set God, they up do. that that's coming <laughs> like, I, I have not connected that it's okay a oh my God. Wait, i think the second that's maybe really third disturbing. time he did it i'm like oh they're gonna deliver on this aren't they and we've had a character who's had lots of slashing on his face like it's gonna take his face off it's the thing when she peeled it off and i'm like well that's gross but i mean Obviously, we're not going to see the front. And then we not only see the front, we see the front performing lines. For a while. Oh. Yeah, and there were some kids in the cinema with me. Not with me, because... Um, but anyway, I started thinking, oh dear. Oh dear, some people are not getting sleep. 
me included, I slept really badly after this uh, first viewing. Quite unpleasant dreams. I, I slept pretty grimly, but I think that's probably because I ate a very, very large thing of pick mix during it. <laughs> which um, which we only really did because we did that a lot in Guardians 2 and the thing is I haven't really had pick and mix since Guardians 2 and it's a lot like being punched in the face <laughs> if you haven't so <laughs> yeah it's um, mm, experience oh pick, pick and mix in a post-pandemic world I, that's a thought well why not you know live on, living <laughs> on the edge use the scoop use the scoop yeah. oh yeah I'm sure, I'm sure all the 10 year olds use the scoop yeah yeah don't. yeah Absolutely. Don't everyone, pick a mix for me. Everyone sanitizes their hands before going in and touching the scoop. And yeah, yes, 100%. I've, I've seen them do it. It's, I just go and lick all of them anyway. Um, but yeah, so just while we're on this, mm. it's, uh, there's been, I've sort of seen different debates and mm. what have you. And it sounds like this probably is the right rating. So PG 13 in the States and then 12A here. But it's just we're not really used to what that's meant to be. I mean, I think there's a kind of what's meant, and uh, I don't know, 12 now is quite different from, you know, isn't like Mrs. Doubtfire 12 A, Like, 12A. Well, I, I was doing some thing. reading, mm. um, and 12A was brought in because of Rainy Spider-Man, um, because it was at, originally at 12, mm. which meant you had to be 12 and that was it, in the same way as our 15 is. Um, but the children were demanding to see the film so much because it'd be marketed to them. Uh, this led to altercations between parents and cinema staff and several local councils overruled the rating. And then the BBFC um, changed the rating and it was it was reissued. Mm. But the BBFC called Raimi Spider-Man possibly the most violent film aimed at a young audience. Oh, how we've moved on. And that's really interesting. I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast as I think it's important to about kind of violence and young audiences and like I had real problems with Iron Man too because I feel like there's kind of a, a level of violence that isn't paid off in consequences um you know I, I think there's a, a level of cartoon violence that's just not appropriate <laughs> but I feel I feel an Iron Man 2 is a different case because it's set in the real world it, it almost looks practical at times mm. it's it's recognizable yeah you can get away with it when it's space stations and uh, mm, this CG is creatures and so on. And, and whilst it's realistic, it's abstract a bit more because it's not on people and cars and buildings. It's not so I think, I think world. Yeah. Mm. I, I think that allows them to do more with it. Um, yeah. I, don't, I, well, I came out the first one and I messaged a number of my friends who have kids who are likely to want to go and see this and just said, look, you need to look up what's all, mm-hmm. I'll tell you or what have you. Mm-hmm. You need to know what's in it because this is not your Captain America, the first Avenger, despite your concerns about the Red Skull, like levels of, of, of cartoon violence. I mean, you think we had, I can't remember which one it is, but one of the Captain Americas, I think, at some point in one of the fights, a henchman gets his throat slit or something, falls down onto a white surface. I can't, I don't, I can't remember when it was. Because I want to say it's snow, but anyway, in, in one Marvel film, and there is no blood at all. I mean, there was no blood in almost. And we go from Marvel that films. to this. Yeah, mm. is um, I think is okay. a bit of a shock. And then obviously all of the the animal element of things. Mm. Um, a lot of people yeah, mentioned yeah, Toy Story with regard to the kind of augmented. Yeah element which is probably one of the reasons i never really wanted to watch toy story i guess mm. i was genuine i really liked it the first time but i was somewhat dreading going back the second time because i just kind of didn't want 
um, floor, mm. I found it really difficult to actually look at floor at all. Um, yeah, to, particularly that I found quite affecting. Um, but then the second time, I was because I knew what was coming, mm. and, and like I said, where we were going to, mm-hmm. uh, that, what the limit was. Uh, that actually, I yeah, I still cried at lots, but. I think I didn't have the same kind of dread with it. I think with those characters as well, there's such a sweetness to the characters, mm. and actually all of the scenes with them are almost entirely, absolutely saccharine, delightful, which is is so interesting to see that so explicit. Mm. I, I feel like there's a lot of work to manage the tone in this, um, and I, and I guess you probably can compare it in a sense with Doctor Strange tonally, where there is a lot of work mm. to carry that horror tone. Into, into the MCU, and I think it works. It's one of the only things that I think does work in that film, but that's a different podcast. Um, whereas in this, it is. Go and listen to it. <laughs> whereas in this one, I, I really feel like where things are very, very hard, the dialogue tends to be lighter, and when there's a lot of like action and things, the the actual backbone tends to be heavier. I think there's a real effort mm. to kind of get you through the film. Like you're not supposed to be. Um, left being traumatised in it. You are supposed to be kind of moved through the stages mm. of the film, I think. Um, yeah. I think what I was really surprised by, particularly given it's James Gunn, is that those uh, flashbacks slash dreams while he's unconscious are entirely earnest and there isn't the undermining quip because there's, with Gunn there's always the undermining mm-hmm. quip and actually that he just let it sit as it was. Um, and I've read a few people say about how it was, it, it was just manipulative and what have you. I'm like, it's a film. You know, what was, oh, they're trying to make me laugh. Yes, dear, they are. They're trying to make me cry. Yes, they are. And I, I don't know, I'm not, I don't know, are you guys um, put off by that? You know, do you feel manipulated by those kind of things, Matthew? Uh, manipulated might be too strong a word, but I can I can see the point because they're saying... They can see the strings. They can see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It, whereas, whereas other aspects of the film are done much more subtly, much more cleverly, whilst maintaining the tone of the film. Mm. And in those, the tone of the film shifts because they want to deliver certain resonating points at the end. Mm. No, no, again, shifts is the wrong word. They they just lose some of the some of the quippy edge, some of mm. the slightly harder stuff that we get to to to. Uh, juxtapose it with what comes later i would suppose but it it when you then think about what the film does and and how it affects you i can see someone look at that and going well all he's done there is is just you know left me just with the music and the nice people so i get really sad when they die yeah give me a little bit more than just that you know single point to it I think the music is, is a really strong point, and I think put the songs on one side, but I think the actual kind of the the soundtrack, the the instrumental, the um, score, the, yeah, the score, um, well. is is in places very obvious, which mm. I think it is less so in the other Guardians films. Well, so the music, and that's I'm really pleased you said that because that for me is the 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 thing I can point to to go, he's he's got ideas for what he's doing here. He, yeah. you know, the, all all the people who made it have come together, and and there is clearly more going on than just what you're watching. You know, I, people can absolutely watch it and enjoy the sci-fi romp in space, doing shooty bang bang stuff. 
the the Guardians theme. Da, 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 that, that one, yeah. Doesn't play until Rocket is back up and with the team. Mm-hmm. And that's that that is a clear choice because you you know, you think of how the Wonder Woman cello is used as often mm. as they can. <laughs> you know. Um, although in the first, again, the first film, they don't use it until she has her big sequence. Um, but then after that, every moment they can, um, in, in this, they hold it, they, they save it. And then when it comes in, you just have that sort of sigh of relief of, oh, we're back on steady ground now. You know, we don't have to worry anymore. It's all going to be good from here. Mm. And I think there are a lot of moving parts in this film. There are a lot of characters and... I don't think anyone does ensemble writing as well as James Gunn does. I, I think over and over again he's spinning multiple plates and, and for me the characters are all in their own story. So I think mm. that things like obvious signposting in the A plot you kind of need because otherwise you can forget you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Can, can I ask a question as someone who hasn't watched Guardians 1 and 2 for a very long time, Guardians 2 I've possibly only seen twice, once mm. in the cinema and once on rewatch, and this film made me consider rewatching Guardians 2, mm. which I've not done. But yeah, it, 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 it made me consider it, which, you know, is more than... It, it's like <laughs> Endgame making me want to watch Thor 2 again. So, you know. Oh, wow. The thing that this is Rocket's story, mm. I don't think rings true for Guardians 1. I think Guardians oh, you mean one, about all three of them being Rocket Story. Yeah, I think Guardians One is Peter's story, and Rocket gets more to do in Guardians Two because he was very popular in Guardians One, and it was clearly a, a resonating character. But I'm interested as people who've watched it more recently. D- can you sort of see that that actually they're telling a story of Rocket from you know Layback Criminal to Captain of the Guardians? Absolutely, the thread runs all the way through. Mm. But no, I wouldn't, you know, if someone asked me who is the main character, if I had to pick one, then it's Star-Lord for the first two films, because, you know, the first one is very Star-Lord-centric, and then the second one is, you know, his dad is the big bad, and and there's all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I agree with Abby that I do think Gunn's very good at making sure that all of them have have important things to do, um, or... Mant- um, Mantis and um, Drax less so, but still they have stories that resonate um, and a you know sort of a purpose. But I think yeah, Peter absolutely can see the um, development of Rocket and the increased focus on him in the second film. But also you've then got Nebula and um, Gamora's story is also mm-hmm. very front and center. So I think it's kind of shared out, but. Yeah, it's sort of you can. It's more for me. You can see it pivoting towards Rocket, maybe right, as time okay. goes on. Um, but also, I would say that it maps back perfectly. Yes. Okay. And and his arc and his you know his okay. um, his development, I think, mm. works very well. What do you think, Abby? All three films end with Rocket. They do. So, I, I think it's always been his story. They do, don't they? Yeah. And the first two with him being really upset. Yep. First two films mm. end with a sad rocket. Third film ends with a different mm. rocket. Okay. Nice. Mm. Um, so I, I think, and James Gunn's talked a lot about this, and he's talked a lot about how for him the Guardians is always rocket story. A lot of the Guardians two um, promotion mm. was about that, which I thought was quite interesting, and I think that was the biggest kind of um, 
surprise for me about Guardians 2 was that Rocket did not die because I felt like we had been fed that by the um, <laughs> James Gunn interviews. You know, it was it seemed like this kind of arc that um, there would in be this, In this one or two? In Well, in either. It, okay. it, it seemed like at various points, but when, mm-hmm. when he was doing a lot of the press for two, mm-hmm. talked about this being a story about Rocket and about him feeling very close to Rocket and Rocket kind of being a proxy for him in, in places and um, and talking about he, how he doesn't see how Rocket can survive mm-hmm. everything he's been through. So there was mm. always this suggestion that Guardians 3 was going to be the end of Rocket, hence the early trailers having this kind of real sense that mm. this is why you get the backstory. because mm. and, and I right up until the end and then I suddenly realised that it had finished and it was just nice I <laughs> didn't expect this at all and I just didn't really know what to do with myself um, I was not prepared he, he, did, he did put us through the ringer though as far as because there was this big thing that look, probably at least some of the Guardians are going to die in this one um, and the trailers suggested you know that kind of mm. um, element as well but I think every single character every single main character from the guardians mm. has a moment where you go oh oh dear and then the, i think that makes the rewatch really pay off mm. because then you just enjoy it instead of looking for kind of who's the jeopardy mm-hmm. who's the casualty mm. and yeah. that for me mm. seeing it straight away again and being able to just completely relax and, and listen properly okay. mm. really helped I, I didn't. It's funny. I didn't think Rocket was going to die because the marketing was so heavy on Rocket's going to die. I appreciated it. I think we've said on on other podcasts because it does what Thor four didn't do and set up that there's going to be a traumatic story in here that you might need to prep mm-hmm. yourselves for. So so good on them. You know, if the, if this is actually that lesson's been learned, good. Mm. But also, you don't advertise it if that's going to be your payoff for your story. Mm. But I assumed what they were also doing was setting up someone's going to die here. How do you feel about the fact that no one did? Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. I think I, I'm immensely relieved. Um, and how nice to tell another story, a different kind. They've already, they're all characters who've lost a lot or never had much to start with in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've already got, the, the whole point of the Guardians is that they all have grief and trauma built in. Mm. So... I think to see them come out of this building something is the best end that I could have imagined. Okay. I didn't need that. And even right. the bad guy didn't die on screen. Amazing. Yeah, that uh, that was one bit where I was like, because eh, eh. mm. we get the, the whole kind of hero thing with Rocket that, you know, I'm not going to kill him because I'm a guardian of the galaxy. And you think, yeah, but you're going to leave him here on the exploding yeah. spaceship. And there's all the other dudes and, you've shot. Yeah, and... <laughs> You are the rocket that we've seen numerous times screaming happily into the air as you machine gun everything inside. So <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about I this. The, it's not the vengeance that it would have been for him. That's not the catharsis he's looking for. No. Okay. Yeah, it's not. he's not cold-blooded, maybe, is there? I mean, reasonably cold-blooded leaving someone on an exploding spaceship. I think maybe yeah, his blood not, is not, warming not, up. Not, yeah, shooting them whilst they're prone. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. High evolutionary. Mm. High evolutionary. L- loved that his people turned on him. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed that. Um, loved, didn't twig this, only twig this in looking up the cast. The main lady who turns on him 
is the guitarist from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, wow. <laughs> which I watched recently. The one whose passport did, gets torn up. Yeah. And, and fascinating to crop up in entirely a different film. Amazing. Mm. That is um, I don't like the high evolutionary. Not, not in a story way. <laughs> he feels like a phase one, phase two Marvel villain. Really? He is shouty. He lacks subtlety and nuance. I think he believes that what he's doing, he's doing for the right thing. But I feel the performance actually lets it down in a number of ways because it just kind of goes to a pompous, shouty, I'm better than thou place. Where this, maybe it's because I feel like the character could have had more to it uh-huh. if he's supposed to be so intelligent, so powerful. It, mm. it feels not too dissimilar from Ronan. Discuss. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> no I, I, I absolutely agree with you. He, he's like chewing the scenery mm-hmm. and, and, and the shouty villain. I think the difference between him and Ronan for me is that I under understood did not advocate but understood his position i could see how mm-hmm. he got to mm-hmm. where he was in a similar kind of to a thanos type mm-hmm. villain and and what i what i love was the 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 juxtaposition where he what he wants is perfection and the guardians are really not perfect mm-hmm. and and the film celebrates imperfection and with the shoutiness with with ronin it just seemed to be for the sake of it but with uh, the high evolutionary it was to me, that was his insecurity because he's the smartest guy in the room and then he creates Rocket and he cannot okay. understand mm-hmm. how something he created is more intelligent than him. And so this hunting Rocket down, yet he keeps saying he wants to see his brain, but it's also there's the there's the taking him off the board because... Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, there was more behind it. And I think in a Guardians film, you've got to be a big villain. <laughs> I'm not sure subtlety would work with everything else you've got going on. Um, so I think there was a there was enough there for me to kind of more enjoy the shouty side. But I thought, um, and I'm blanking on the actor's name. I know he was the, thank you. He was in uh, Peacemaker, wasn't he? Which I thought he was very good in as well. Played the villain mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Well, mm. villain slash. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I I really liked him. I mean, he's unlikely to pop up again with the exploding spaceship and lack of face. <laughs> but if somehow he did, and there was a decent way of explaining how and why, uh, then I would be quite happy to see him again. Okay. I, I really liked him, but I have a slightly different take on it, which is it wasn't about him. And it was broad strokes. And it was, here's this mad scientist with a goal. And the film just didn't desperately care that much about him um it was about Mm. rocket and it was about rocket's experience and it was also about the sort of (sighs) i think the thing that i particularly like is that it's about the marvel universe it's about space and time and the types of things that happen if you want to have infinite space and time i think things that finding out that he created the sovereign for example in this pursuit Mm. of, of a sort of elevated race of people i think that you you can watch all of these characters and you know people who have like animal bits to them and all of these things and you never really find out about kind of how and why that happened and it's just some bat scientist in a corner um with resources and power 
And I think, Matthew, I, I really like that you mentioned that um, his kind of crew turned against him because I think mutiny and I think leadership are themes in Guardians that barely anyone seems to mention, but they run all the way through. Mm. And about the fact that you don't have to follow the charismatic, powerful or wealthy leader. You can just say, actually, we're not doing this. And that comes up in all three films in, in one way or another. You can just poke a hole in it and watch the air deflate out of it. And I think it is all about undermining these things and just going, actually, no, this is no, this is silly. No, you've taken it too far. No, this doesn't work. And I think that it it's almost threatening in a way to some of the other MCU films which have to take their villains so seriously and give them so mm. much motive that you must come around and understand them and end up rooting for them or wish they were all Loki um, you know it's mm. that to have something like this that is a bit more sort of pantomime because it's not about that it's about the Guardians and really it is business as usual I love that that kind of final fight is just a piece of cake it's not there's no real jeopardy in it once the Guardians turn up, because they do this all day. Right. <laughs> he was super punchable. <laughs> I've never wanted to climb into a screen more and take on one of the villains myself. I, I absolutely adored them getting the box out so he towers over Elizabeth depicting. Yes. yes. And I'm, I'm assuming they're doing that because of who, the, who she is and how tall uh -huh. she is. But it's a great, it's a great moment, and you know it leans into that insecurity and yeah. thing. But but yeah, it tells us so much in one thing, which is why it like I, I'm more of you know I don't have to like him, I don't have to you know follow him, but it could still be good. <laughs> Just take a tiny, <laughs> tiny moment for Elizabeth Debicki, who has so few scenes, oh, but yeah. God, I love her. Yeah, she was oh, wonderful. She was I was so good. Gutted when Gilda. Mm. She's got so much to give. So much to give. What, mm. what a wonderful character she is, and uh, what a wonderful performance. Mm. But her son lives on, mm. doesn't he? Just sh sh mm. we, are we talking about Adam? Is it time? Talk about Adam. Let's mm. talk about how did you find Adam? When he was in the birthing pod, and then they opened it, and there he was. <laughs> well, that was you. I didn't realize. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I liked him I think he was in it just about the right amount because this is a new character that we may or may not see in the future I mean I know we saw that Guardians team towards the end but whether we'll see them again mm -hmm. don't know um, but I thought I thought it was quite a difficult needle, th um, needle thread is that the right word? yeah anyway you know what I mean um, where he was the very serious villain at the beginning like very serious threats then Craglin throws an arrow at him, and we have that moment, which I loved. And then he's he's silly, and then he's the hero again at the end. So I I think you know there's these quite quite interesting tone shifts with him, but I thought it worked, and I thought that the justification as to why he's the way he is mm -hmm. um, made sense, and that he's this all powerful character. So you've got to do something, haven't you, to to limit him mm. but he really uh, you know the intro introduction of him he goes up against all of the guardians other than gamora and and he really does you know you, you really take him as a threat yeah but it, it's oh it, you what you were saying there reminds me of the, the the reason that i love superman so much is because it mm. makes people write superman in interesting ways when you have this super yeah. powerful character you have to come up with stuff 
Like you mm. can't just rely on whether well, someone more powerful than him because that way lies madness. Um, no, I also like that he was in it only a small amount. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. But they do take a bit of a shorthand there with he's going through what we've seen our characters go through in two movies now. Mm. So we can just have lines that, that sort of resonate on that level um, to show us what, what he's going through and be, becoming part of this family. So, hmm. yeah. And the performance was very good. I thought he was great. Yes. Absolutely great. Yes. He does seem like a very nice young man. He does, doesn't mm. he? Mm. I wish good things for him. Mm. I'd be happy with him to pop up again. I don't necessarily want a... Um, what's he called? Adam. I don't want an Adam film. Um, but I, yeah, I wouldn't mind him. I'm not even sure I want him in the Avengers or anything, but definitely popping up somewhere. I want him falling in love with Brie Larson and sort of following around like a bit of a puppy dog. (laughs) (laughs) I could enjoy that. I think he's one of those characters that I'd seen in the comics and enjoyed in the comics. And I think this is quite a different take, but I, I, there, it, it has something of a kind of naivete that's really nice that is missing from mm. a lot of the others. It's it's not quite that kind of Peter Parker awkwardness. It's that kind of born yesterday thing. Mm. Um, and I thought it was just done really nicely. I also found him genuinely funny and giving him that like weird squishy blurp thing. I <laughs> You know, I'm a sucker for like, and here's my weird pet. <laughs> and it was so good. I just, I laughed a lot whenever he was there. And um, yeah. But at the same time, I didn't think they overcooked the and he's going to save the day because I didn't really mm. see that coming. I mean, I thought, mm. oh, it's nice that they're kind of stacking up these sort of gestures of goodwill. And then when it paid off, it, it did. But they didn't make such a big thing about Groot saving him that it was overly foreshadowed. I didn't think. No. So I like that. I thought that was it for Peter until his face started to like puff out. And I thought, well, no, they're not killing him that way. Jokey jokes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like the undercanner thought they're not going to do it that way. But I didn't know how he was going to be saved. And I said when um, Group puts out his tendrils to try and get him, and they snap off, and that it it really was quite affecting. Mm. Until then, as soon as the puffiness came, I thought, "Mm." also that didn't happen to Yondo, but fine. Maybe that's because Yondo is more graceful. And just kind of accepted calmly, whereas Peter is, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I really thought Peter was going to go. I, yeah, it, it seemed like. They wouldn't have killed him like that because he wasn't dying for any reason. But Major it felt like death. the kind of thing that James Gunn would absolutely do. I, I think I think that that sometimes... Oh yeah, just in Act up. 1, he'd have I done that. I, I, Act 3, it has to be a sacrifice. I, I could see it happening. It was, And it was all because of the iPod, what's it, the Zoom? And it was all the Zoom's fault. I can, I can really imagine Blame Microsoft. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of, um, and I'm also speaking of ratings and things, um, the first use of an F word in the Marvel films. Hmm. And there, there was a. Is it? Well, that, that was the claim mm-hmm. from the thing. But I like. Because. Oh. In the previous Guardians film, where is that? I've got it here. Groot says, I am Groot, mm. to Yondu. And um, Rocket translates. Mm. He says, he says, welcome to the freaking Guardian of the Galaxy, only you didn't use freaking. Well, yeah. So, in Groot language, we have had an F-bomb. 
But I think we and which I obviously it. understood because of now course, I speak Groot. Because okay. of your love for Groot. Mm-hmm. Understandable. But yeah, so sorry. What what did you think of the, the first English F-bomb? I, th- I think I was going to say that, that James Gunn said that um, Kevin Feige said to him, oh, do you really want to be known as the guy who had the first F-word in the Marvel film? And James Gunn was like, who do you think I am? Of course that's say, what I want. That is the main that thing I would like to be known for. <laughs> And I just, I found that amusing, to be honest. Also, I really laughed. And I, I'm not usually somebody who laughs at, at a random swear word, but I found that that scene I was genuinely amused by, it, not least because she was like, the instructions were not clear. And that is my wife <laughs> right there. The instructions were not clear. <laughs> I love Well, so, so this is the thing. I can remember that there was one. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think it should be there. I don't think it belongs here any more than it belongs in Star Trek. But fine. Okay, no, um, but I can't remember why it was used. I just remember that it was there. It, so so the use of the thing. word stands out more yeah. than a- actually the impact it should have had or could have had. So. Yeah, it was very much the as he, as he, well, my reading it was very much that he he wanted to be the one to do it. Mm-hmm. But then it was done as a throwaway. Right. Um, and like masterfully deployed, it did make me laugh a lot. But okay. I think it didn't necessarily have to be that word. I think probably they would have made me laugh anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think it was more the fact that it was such a throwaway, given it had been, you know, I had read about it beforehand mm. and everything. Okay. Um, so I think there's sort of a meta element to it there. Mm. But it was a very funny scene. Okay. And it, it, I also felt like it was done so it could be cut for, you know, countries that don't want that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Without sure, impact. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really did laugh. Um, and I laughed a lot at this film, actually. It was not as much as the people next, but like just over from me who laughed like, really? I mean, I was like, are you high? Like, is this, I mean, it's <laughs> Inappropriate times? Or? No, but just really enthusiastic. And I, they, maybe they were just really having a good time, but they mm. were really amazing. How dare yeah. they? Oh, I was just surprised. <laughs> I, it was it was nice. I've not heard people laugh that much in a cinema for many, mm. many years. And also, like, you know, Guardians is not always, like, the big laugh out loud funny. You know, it's chuckle funny throughout. Okay. And there were some big laughs. But they were very enthusiastic all the way through. And that's, <laughs> that's nice. That is nice. Mm. So, you know. So I mentioned it before. What did we think of the Groot? I love you guys. Yay, nay. It, it shrieks of this is the last film. Let's throw everything in that people might mm-hmm. ever want to deliver on. So him actually saying words. But it's over too quick. There's not enough reaction to it. So it's a bit like, oh, okay, they're also doing that as well. Okay. But I don't, when he says there's no reaction to it, I don't think he said those words. I think he said, I am Groot. Because I think that's what they're setting up in the film. That we, oh, so that we can now understand that him. That we because, now understand Because we him. love each other and have spent so much time together. Yeah, because yeah. okay. would they have Gamora like three or four times going, yeah. what, he's just saying it, and then at the end she understands him. Okay. And so I think this is, and that's why you don't get a reaction from them, because he just said, I am Groot. But we now, as part of the Guardians of the Sun. Okay. okay. Yeah. I... Love the concept. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's Vin Diesel. <laughs> and so to me, Dominic Toretto just turned up. 
Because he says it exactly as if... The family of the galaxy. Exactly. Exactly. I love you guys, family. Probably. Do you know? And so... He doesn't say it. It's a lovely idea. You can hear the clenched face to it. I I do agree. There's a white vest in front of me on him and everything. He's holding a wrench. Swamp Groot in the white vest. Knox sat somewhere ready to go off. I just... Uh, yeah so you're right though because he doesn't do that voice when he's I am grooting mm. so why mm. he just said it as if he was anyway so yeah I, I love the concept I thought the execution was somewhat lacking I I, I kind of agree I, I did find that I was like who said that <laughs> Dom Toretto yeah clearly, exactly. clearly, but, yeah. clearly. I, I may have yelped <laughs> but I like the concept and like once I kind of joined the dots I was like oh that's good well done but I See, yeah I, I did not connect that so mm. Mm, I'm, I'm now more dubious about like not sure that came off but fine you know I can appreciate the effort. yeah yeah um it reminded me I wondered if they were going this way in the I think it's the Jedi Academy trilogy the second trilogy of Star Wars books written after um after the start, the original Star Wars movies, mm. and they have a thing in there that even five, however many years later, Leia can't understand Chewbacca <laughs> until they go to the planet Kashyyyk and she meets his family, who she can understand really well. And it turns out he's got a speech impediment. Oh, <laughs> That's why she can't understand him as well. And I almost wonder if they were going down that route with it, but then they just mm. do. Oh no, now she can understand him, which counteracts the fact that it was taught as an. Uh, an optional elective course on Asgard to be able to speak Groot. So some people study it. Some people just spend time with him mm-hmm. and learn to understand it. Yeah, it's not That's consistent kind of with the world. Some people no. study it. Some people just hang out with with people speaking that language. Some people move there. And learn. Yeah, but other languages have more than three words. It's international. It's yeah. He thought to explain it to you. <laughs> Uh, I think Bradley Cooper deserves an Oscar. Definitely. I just, I, I, amazing. I I mean, I said this in the Guardians two pod a lot, but I really can't get over the fact that that is Bradley Cooper. I mean, it isn't, but it's a raccoon (laughs) chatting. (sighs) Amazing, amazing performance. To give him his due as well, Sean Gunn did Baby. Rocket. I just went blank on the main character of the film. Youth, youth Rocket. Um, and then yeah, there's someone else who does baby. the baby baby one. There's, there's oh, I thought there, was, there are three Rocket voices. Oh, I think there's a small, medium well. and large. <laughs> but when uh, he... Co- Cooper voiced Adolescent Rocket. Noah Raskin voiced Baby Rocket. Okay. Mm. Thank you. Mm. When, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's Rocket, it's Cooper is Rocket, uh, when he does the scream when mm. Lila dies... Mm. So, I mean, that's done in a lot of films and doesn't work. Mm. Darth Vader, mm-hmm. always Not that cool. well. <laughs> um, but it's soul crushing. Mm. Absolutely. And the, yeah, oh, so good. Speaking, so good. speaking of people doing um, kind of the big emotive scenes well, I really have not seen Chris Pratt do anything this good apart from the end of Guardians 2. Um, I thought Chris Pratt was amazing in this. Um, when Rocket sort of dies and then he's trying to bring him back, I was sobbing 
just found it very, very moving. I thought he was very convincing. And he really mm. just kind of let that be... You know when people are trying to do a big emotion and they're sort of concentrating so much on the big emotion, but this was one of those things where it is a byproduct of the exertion of trying to save somebody's life. And I just felt that was a really good amount of choice made in there. A point made on almost every podcast I've heard about this is why on earth he couldn't summon this for Jurassic Park films. I, I mean, yeah. this is my, it's like a different my actor. Constant, my constant amazement, which I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the Guardians mm. 2 podcast, is that he is so good in these films mm. as this character. And he's so charismatic. And he's so um, emotive. And just with what he can do with his face and... Mm. And everything, it's so good, both both that scene in particular, and then also when he's having that heartfelt conversation with, as he thinks, private conversation with Gamora, <laughs> and the yearning on his face and everything, and yet he turns up as like a marionette in yeah. the dinosaur films and um, like that Tomorrow War thing, and so there's got to be something around directors there or something. But I mean, even for him to get to these heights. You'd think that even with a you know a less um, co- what's it co- copacetic is that the right word? I just made up a word. Sounds good. Is it copacetic? Um, director, that you still think you'd get okay. Well, you won't get that, but you'll get something. But it's just so dull in those films. Mm, I think maybe the characters are just so generic. I mean, I I couldn't name you a single attribute of his character in the Jurassic World films apart from got a man. Coat. Dinosaur. Man who holds a hand out to a yeah. dinosaur. Motorbike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's that's not really much. A knife strapped to him somewhere. Um, no, but yeah. the thing is with with an actor who can go to these heights, yeah. then normally they, they're the ones that elevate a mediocre script. Mm. You know, that they're, they're you kind of again, it won't necessarily get to the same as you would hear, but it would be well, that's better than mm. one of the many, many other Chris's rocking up or something and then and doing a yeah, I don't know. but but yeah, I mean, it was I, good I in Parks and it's, it's not quite the same. Well, but, what ex- but, but exactly? Like the thing that you know launched him. Yeah, it's really mm. good, isn't it? And, he is, yeah. and, 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 right. and also, and also like, with emotional range there as well. Mm, it's not all just exactly, funny. Exactly, and and playing against Aubrey Plaza is hard. Yeah, mm. you know she has got a lot about her. So, mm. yeah, I think there's something about just kind of the quirk and the. I, I think everybody gives over and above performances in Guardians, though. I, you know, people like you know, Karen Gallant's a great actor, but mm. I think she's just over and above as Nebula, and that's through all of the everything mm-hmm. that she's covered in. There's a lot of people giving, you know, we just talked about Bradley Cooper for a while. His face is not even there, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, he's not even doing the motion capture. It's It's just not him. We're still talking about kind of these great performances, and I think... I think again, some of that has got to be James Gunn and the ensemble and the solidity of the writing and directing. It's very tight. I think there's potential as well. I don't know. I'm I'm just reading stuff into this, but it does seem that they really care about these characters. You know, this mm. is an ensemble that has worked together for a long time mm-hmm. with these characters and this kind of found family type. And they didn't nearly didn't make cast. this film without the yeah. actors coming together and pulling for it to happen. So I think there's that element where an actor, you know, really cares about what they're doing and is not just mm. kind of going through the motion. 
whilst we're just kind of picking out members of the cast, um, Zoe, Zoe Saldana, I thought, mm. was so much better than all the other Gamoras. Really? I loved her in this, and I just, I found her, I mean, I I think that she's great in Guardians too, obviously. Um, I'm sure she was in the other films, you know, the big ones. Um, don't remember them well. <laughs> Some stuff happened. Um but I thought yeah, she was really good, and I, I thought that she really had that kind of separation of character, which mm. I always enjoy. I really like it when people kind of play a different character in the same get-up or mm-hmm. body swap things or anything like that. And I, I just really enjoyed that real partitioning she did of Gamora. Mm. But still believable as being a Gamora that had gone through, and, had not gone through some of the experiences. Did that uh, work absolutely. for you? Yeah, I think, I think this is the best Gamora has been. Um, as as you know, a character that we love very much, probably my wife's favourite character really? of all of them, and and uh, you know the reason why Guardians Two was the thing we argued about because she loved it because Gamora delivered so well, and I didn't because mm-hmm. it didn't deliver on anything else for me. Um, but here she's she's wonderful because, and I think this is the big thing: she's not perfect. Mm. And mm. the downside of Gamora has been she's the best fighter, she's smart, she's sassy, she's just a bit naive in the world. Is is you know the the only thing that stops her being the, the leader of everyone, and here she has actual imperfections and actually you know she's been through what we saw our Gamora go through, or, or certainly when when she's first introduced has just gone through, but she's had to work it out whilst being on the run and with the Ravagers, maybe you know in a in a mm. very different circumstance that's created a different person that experience. And it comes across well, and it's really good. And she's flawed, and she's fallible, and she's not totally into it, and she learns some of the lessons, but still doesn't go like, oh, well, okay, maybe I do belong here. Mm-hmm. Um, I am your Gamora. You know, no, no, she's not. So she does something different, yeah. and I like that. I'm so pleased they didn't do the obvious thing, mm-hmm. which is that over the course of the film, she does fall in love with Peter again. Yeah. It's so much more interesting what they did. And... And for him to accept it at the end, you know, it's still obviously be sad about his Gamora being gone. But but it was it just occurring to me, occurred to me now when we're talking about this, that one of the things I really like about this Gamora is she's not the team nag. Because mm-hmm. in the other the films, one of the, mm-hmm. yeah, is that she's always, you know, the one who's going, stop being silly and no, this is serious mm-hmm. and... No, we need to do this. Do you, no, which is quite often the female character who's then mm-hmm. hated for being mm-hmm. uh, for being that person. Mm. Yeah, um, and I think the worst one isn't it? Like the wife in Breaking Bad. Oh, I haven't watched it. Who got? No, I I got halfway through and decided it wasn't for me. Okay. But there was a big whole thing with the fans hating the wife because she, funny enough, didn't want him to be a, a drug dealer, Imagine. and so she was ruining all the fun. Boring. <laughs> um. Yes. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really impressed that they didn't go down the, mm. the easy routes. And, you know, you could particularly see them, I don't know, that her growing to love them again, and then she's tragically killed. There's just so many ways that they, they yeah. could have gone with that that, um, you know, would have accepted because fine and probably would have cried and what have you. But I really like what they've done here. And and having her that, you know, that was her fan family was the other Ravager mm. group. Yeah, and she replaced mm. Thanos with Rocky. What yes. what a great <laughs> switch up! Just uh, I I found that she found that really moving as well when she was kind of back mm. with her family and I I just I really enjoyed that she was just allowed to have a genuinely happy ending for that character. It didn't have to be shoehorned yeah. into yeah 
our Marvel narrative. Mm. And I think that that's what telling multidimensional stories has to be about as well. It's not our Marvel all the time. Mm. Um, mm. So I, I think... thought people have their own stories going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. 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 And I think that that's something that if we're going to kind of spend too long in these multidimensional spaces, that's the kind of thing we're going to have to learn is, you know, not your Marvel. <laughs> But this is the best way of doing it, I can imagine. So, I, you know, high bar was set. I think one of the things that really helped with this film for me was that it wasn't multiversal and that we just focused on... And, and, and it, they at least set out... It wasn't setting out to rescue all these animals and kids and what have you. They were setting out just to save their friend. Mm-hmm. So it's like a smaller stakes on you know, galactic scale, etc., etc. Yeah, but... but, you know, the, the focus and the the search for the MacGuffin this time mm-hmm. was was to do with saving their friends Absolutely. and along the way they're well, their guardians so obviously they do good as well but it was just really nice not, ha- not to have oh the multiverse is ending and and that they just didn't touch on it at all yeah was was just refreshing much I one of the things I love about the MCU is the connectivity of it mm-hmm. the multiverse I just am so not interested in and I think that's something I like about the Guardians as well, is they are a bit more monster of the week. You know, they mm. actually have, like, the day job. And I think I really loved, with all the action sequences and all the fight sequences, apart from that first one with Adam, which I think is mm. genuinely shocking because they can't take him out and they can't mm. just solve that one. Um, nothing's really a problem. They're just really accomplished fighters. They're really... They're professionals. They know mm. what they're doing. And you get to watch this kind of really kind of medium to high level of competence and uh, like I love the corridor fight but because it is simply just kind of people doing their job they, yeah. they need to get through the thing now they've got through the thing done hmm. um, yeah so I think that's you know compared with sort of some of the other films which are just so world endy um, I really appreciate the kind of... There are so many episodes of The Guardians that we haven't seen, and that's really obvious between each mm. film. Mm. Um, yeah, I agree. And, mm. and there's there's so much that's textually not shown, whereas I, I, I don't always feel like we've left the Avengers at all between things. Well, only for to have individual members' films. Hmm. But yeah, I don't think you really get that feeling that they've been going on a lot of missions. I mean, they have, but yeah, I don't think they... Mm. I think that the world building here, and this is a bit difficult because we've not done our Quantum Mania discussion yet. Um, blame Disney, because we all decided we were going to do it when it came out on Disney+, Plus, and then they're taking bloody ages to bring it out on Disney+. Plus. So we will be doing that mm. um, out of order. But just as a little preview to that discussion... With that film, again, you had a very colourful, heavily CGI'd world. But it just didn't feel like it had any weight. And here, this feels like this feels like a real world. Mm. Um, I really believe those characters are where I'm told they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just felt very substantial. Even when you have got ridiculous, you know, like the war pig character and... And the, the blob that that's in the cage that um, Mantis lets out and then says, oh, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't screaming at you. There's something mm-hmm. scary behind it's you. Sort of you lovely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, completely believable. One thing I didn't find believable 
is a theory I've heard, which suggests that Nebula is un- has unrequited love for Peter. That's just based I don't think on it's that trailer, isn't it, really? No, they were pinning it to that when he's mm-hmm. drunk at the beginning and she puts him to bed. Mm-hmm. And she does look, you know, and he grabs her arm and says, oh, I love you, Gamora. And she does look stricken by it. But to me, that was, she's so sad for her friend. Not. And also and her sister. Wants, <laughs> yeah. And now she wants, you know, in mm. with him. I, I've never got any of that. No. I think you can read it, and and the bit later on where someone says about the two of them together, and he gives her a second look and mentions yeah. her eyes, and then she properly like does no, no, never him, you, you know, mm. overcompensates. You could say, mm. you, you could read it there. I don't think it's there. I don't think it's meant to be. But you know, if it exists and improves the story for you, how about it? Yeah, yeah. I suppose. I suppose that is the thing. You can be generous. It doesn't really take away from the actual film or change anything about the facts of the film. Mm. Uh, I'm sure people have written pages about that love story. Mm. I wonder if they have. I, I wonder. Hmm. I would be interested. I'll look. <laughs> <laughs> and so what about the music? This is awesome mix three, I guess, if we're talking about the Zoom. Where does it, where does it stack up against uh, volumes one and two? So when they dropped the first trailer with the Space Hog song in it, I cried immediately. And... You know, you know, when it's just like a song that is not really particularly meaningful to you or anything, but you do remember it from like a time, a long time ago. And then suddenly you hear it and it's kind of over something that you really care about, Guardians. Mm-hmm, and, I, mm-hmm. and it was just suddenly quite a lot. And now every time I listen to that song, and I do because I put it on the playlist, um, I just start crying. Um, so there's that. So that was a good choice. Um, I think the, the, there is a song that I would like to talk about in this film. Um, I checked the soundtrack before I went to see it, and I'm glad I did, because um, at the end of the film, they use Florence and the Machine's Dog Days Are Over. Now, this is a very meaningful song for my wife, and I didn't know how they were going to use it, and when it came up on the thing, and it was like 2000s, and I just kind of just gave her a tap, just a little warning, just brace. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she burst into the big tears. So, Aww. which is not something she's much given to doing, but I mm. think just having that song be that kind of release and mm. seal on three films that have been so meaningful for for both of us, and you know, particularly for her, um, it was one of those things where you just kind of go, "How did you know, James? How <laughs> how did you know the really specific any song from the two thousands, anything, <laughs> and you pick that one?" That uh, was that was a surprise. That was a big surprise for her, and I'm delighted to see a lot of people kind of talking about that. And um, it was a while ago, turns out, 2012. <laughs> so, oh god, was that 2012? Seems so. So oh. yeah, I was I was very moved by that. But I mean, overall, it's a different soundtrack from some of the others. There were a lot of songs that I didn't know particularly well, mm. or a lot of songs that I just haven't really thought about. And I don't know if they're used as effectively as I think music is used in the second one um but i enjoyed it and i've listened to it a lot so how about you matthew i thought there was too much um Mm. one of the things i love about that first one is is it was the sort of revelation of using pop music in this way um which i feel other films have emulated and james gunn has done in other films and 
I can't really remember the different songs mm. and the moments they're particularly used in because there's just so much. It's not Suicide Squad, to be fair, um, but it is like, oh, they just wanted to keep using pop music to give you certain vibes and feelings for what's going on rather than when I think of the first one and things like, um, do you like Pina, Pina Coladas? And, mm. uh, you know, there's a couple of songs in there that maybe I knew, maybe I didn't know. But they resonate with, oh, that's that moment from the film. And that's that's that thing that was being delivered on. And it, it, it lessens it a little bit for me. That said, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, I adore that song. And I've played that for many <laughs> times in the car, driving around very fast. And it's used really well here. So, you know, bravo. Yeah, I had a similar reaction that there was so much more of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are definitely, in the, um, in the first two films, there were loads of songs I'd never heard of before. Not the Pinnacle song, as Escape is an absolute masterpiece and i have always loved um but with the other films i think almost every single song was incredibly specific and very catchy and then i was i was rushing to download the soundtrack and to listen to them and and everything um and then with this there are a lot of songs that i couldn't pick up out of the lineup Mm, frankly um then there was some amazing ones. So absolutely, the dog days are over and just perfect timing. So the cathartic and the dancing and just just fantastic. Um, Since You've Been Gone has been one of my favourites for forever, though this was a different version to the one that I'm familiar with. I don't know if it's the original or not. I don't know. But, and then and Creep at the beginning, I thought was just... I loved that. Such that an amazing good. use yeah. of that with them um, Rocket singing it and all of that that, mm. that says. Um. But I'm not sure I could even kind of tell you... I couldn't have told you the titles of the other films, um, soundtracks for a lot of the songs, but I could have kind of said what the main lyric is or something. I don't think I can with any others in that film, and I've seen it twice. Hmm. So I just felt it felt a little nondescript, some of it. But then again, I've seen Guardians 2 probably more than any other film except Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <laughs> And I know that that song with the whistling and the thing where it kills everyone, I've watched that sequence so many times. I can't remember anything about what that song is. <laughs> I probably could if I really sat down and worked through it in my head. But like, there there are quite a few songs in on the Guardians 2 soundtrack that I would struggle to name on a list mm. in a quiz. Um, but I think it's perfectly done. And I think that with this one as well, I think the more I see it, the more I'll appreciate it. I know there are... There's um there's a weird flaming lips song which I'm absolutely sure I've seen live but I spent ages looking at the track listings and trying to make that work because I <laughs> I kept getting stuck in front of the flaming lips at festivals they would always be before the person I'd gone to see anyway James Gunn apparently had this at his wedding um so it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of things like that that are very meaningful for him and that he wanted to put in the film and I think that that is any time somebody does want to do something for themselves in the film. I think it does usually show one way or another, and I think that might be how it shows up here, that it seems kind of nondescript for us, hmm. where we didn't get married to that one. Hmm. Yeah, but I do think it's matters. I just think there is... I don't, I've not counted them, but it just felt like they were doing it so much in this film, um, I, when I think perhaps I score think would have been better. More, I, I, I really... It, it's interesting, because I really felt like I noticed the score more, because it seemed a little heavier-handed. Mm. And I was just like, oh, why is there so much score? <laughs> I think it might be coupled with one of the reasons I love that first Guardians film so much is he takes 
every so often time to give you 10 seconds of a beautiful shot. You know, whether it's CG, you know, um, space escape, um, or, or, or some composition or something, but there are, there are just moments in there where it's like, oh, that's, that's pretty beautiful. That's really well put together. And I feel like those are quite often underscored by actual music as well. You know, here is a moment I want to deliver on. So I want to give you visuals. I'm going to give you audio. I'm going to give you every sense you can basically have from a film. Um, and do something, and in in I, in this definitely, I don't feel like I got the beautiful shots this time. There is that one mm. with the space hog film, which is when they're jumping out in the colourful suits, and it, I think that's a really beautiful shot. That Very one much si- for the trailer, and that and that's a sequence. Yeah, not and a. I, I think that's the most. He's just a, an image on screen, not yeah. you know. It's you, a you don't, don't have to follow it. You don't have to think about it. I'm just going to show you stuff. Just gonna you, you mm. just sit here and enjoy yeah. the spectacle, <laughs> and I felt like that was probably the most spectacular bit mm. in terms of that. But I, I mean, I, I do like that all the songs are different. Like, I think one of my biggest problems with Ragnarok was how heavy it went on the same song. Mm. Um, so I like that it's got variety, yeah. Uh, one of my favourite songs from one of my favourite bands I can't say anything about it I'm afraid <laughs> Immigrant enough. Song is Perfection song, Incarnate so. but it's sure there are a lot um, but yeah I, I also I really like the, the Guardians theme like you say I like that it's sparing with it mm. Um, mm. I thought and, and I thought that was really effective it works better yeah, yeah. And, and I think the fact that that does manage to stand out even if there is a lot of music in there I think also does mm. say something um, yeah I bought the soundtrack very quickly. I bought the physical one. I might even nice. buy the vinyl. I can imagine that happening. This is how I end up with so much stuff to move. Honestly. <laughs> I was just thinking about yeah. maybe what you've moved. Yes. <laughs> Isn't it what you play in the car on the drive? Well, that is why I bought the CD, but then it turned out that we didn't know how to do the CD player in the car. Because <laughs> it kind of rotates. It's very weird. Anyway. And yes, Laura, I meant the vinyl. It's Abby. It wouldn't shock me at all if she has a record player in her car. It's really good. It just skips a lot on the M25. That's really weird. <laughs> oh, it really would on the M25 as well. That, that bit by the A3, yeah. Well, yeah. on your country, yeah. well, on your country road. It's not the yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you promised me you would tell me when you cried. I cried. Um... At the beginning. <laughs> zero, the zero, zero seconds <laughs> and two hours, 21 minutes. No, but p- particularly, um, I think the bit with, it was Peter's response to kind of Rocket not being okay. Um, I cried at the beautiful spectacle of the spacesuits and the music, but I think, again, that was kind of connected to my feelings about the trailer and the end of the Guardian's time. Um, I cried at the the bit with, with the animals in heaven and the stuff because mm. because I would. I'm I'm easily manipulated. I actually didn't love some of the dialogue in that. I'm sure it was great, but it's mm. not I cried anyway. The sort of shadowy glimpses of them and I was like no, no. And actually I cried a lot because I thought that scene was such a gift because it was alright anyway. And I think that that was what a what a great gift to give a film that I thought was going to be this huge thing of jeopardy. And it basically just turned out it didn't matter if Rocket died because his friends were over there and it didn't matter if he lived because his friends mm-hmm. were over there. And I was just mm-hmm. like, this is just ideal. Everything <laughs> is fine, whatever happens. So I think that made me cry with like a lot of relief. Um, and then the Florence thing, 
probably mostly because of my wife, but um, mm-hmm. but also just because it was really lovely, and it's just it's really just nice to see everybody happy, uh, mm-hmm. or like kind of moving through. I think the other thing there were there were a lot of things that made me cry. Um, when Mantis decided to go off with her friends, these massive mm-hmm. creatures, and have adventures, love that for her. Very excited. Hope she gets like a little animated series. What if episode of Mantis and her things? That would be amazing. <laughs> really want that. And um, no one asked, but I'm going to tell you. I think my favourite moment in the whole film is when Mantis yells, Hello! <laughs> really loved it. <laughs> because she didn't have to do that. And it was just, I just loved how it was just kind of so much. <laughs> and I almost felt like that was really happening. And it was just, I, I think Pompey Mantis is, is just a wonder and a joy. And I can't wait to see her in Mission Impossible. See, she's in Mission Impossible. Oh yeah. Didn't know that. Don't want to know anything more. Oh, Thanks yeah. very much. Sorry. <laughs> I, I just assume spoilers because... for Guardians Three. But They're allowed. She, we talked about the motorbike thing, and she's in that, right? Okay. I don't remember talking about the motorbike. Didn't thing. we? Didn't talk I about d- the motorbike thing. I, I thought it was you who told me about it. No, that's okay. the one trailer I've not watched as oh, okay. since I, I decided to abandon my trailer avoiding on films. I've still not watched the Mission Impossible one. I think they're going to show me stunts I don't want to see until the film. Oh, was that not before Top Gun? Laura. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. These are the bits I remember, Crying. Okay. <laughs> there were more. Zero, zero seconds and two hours <laughs> no. 30. Um, when... Baby Rocket comes back from being experimented on um, and talks for the first time and his first word is hurts. And um, I'm actually getting slightly well up. Um, and Lila um, cleaning his wound and, and what have you. Um, pretty much everything whenever he was, he was with, with them. Um, the absolutely the into the beautiful whatever it was guy. All of that, the heaven type sequence, um, when they when they died, and I mean like when when they died and Rocket didn't, not that heaven bit, uh, and uh, absolutely the end, when Nebula breaks down, hearing that he's okay, when um, uh, when Peter thinks that he's died and does the screaming. Um, when Nebula says to Drax that he wasn't a destroyer, he was meant to be a dad. Yeah, so basically just constantly dehydrated. Any any time there was some sort of piano with resonance basically, in the yeah. score. Basically. <laughs> did you have a favourite moment to follow the crying? I'm not sure I did, because I just, um, it was all like at a high level. And I, I like some of the crying was probably my favourite bit because it was so... Well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just thought yeah. of when the when the little raccoons went on rocket. Oh, I was a oh. mess. Mm. Oh my god, Matthew, how about you? If you um uh, the the heaven sequence, mm. you know it is you you're absolutely right. It's incredibly well done because it does deliver. Oh, he will he will eventually get the reward he has always wanted. You know, if we talk mm-hmm. about having an I want, you know. Yeah. Uh, up there, you know, what's this thing? It's a fork type moment, and that's what he was always said he wanted. Um, plus, she's an otter, and you know, otters are very resonant with us as a family, so you know, we, mm-hmm. we love us an otter. Um, 
But as I'm sat there watching it going, she just needs to hold her hand out and stop him walking forward and say not yet. And that's exactly 100% what she did. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't cry that I'd predicted what was happening, but that it delivered the thing in my head that I wanted to happen. And, and yeah, I had to shed a tear at that moment. And so... wipe on my sleeve because I'd already given my handkerchief to my wife before <laughs> the credits had opened the film. So I'm like, you're probably going to need this one in this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it it absolutely it 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 is very heavily done. You know, it ab- it wants everyone to feel the emotions, mm. but it wants everyone to feel the emotions. You're absolutely right, Laura. Like, yes, yes, that's what the, the film wants you to feel sad and happy at the same time, and it does everything it can do to get you there. So, mm-hmm. bravo, good. I had feelings. <laughs> <laughs> you swine. <laughs> do you know something that I really liked here is. When we spoke about the holiday special, I really wasn't that bothered by it, as Hmm. you'll recall. But particularly the focus on Drax and Manson, I just, I don't know, there was something about the Mm -hmm. writing, something that wasn't working. Mm -hmm. I really liked them together in this film. And I think it helps that they weren't the focus, Mm. but I can't tell you what's different particularly about the way the characters are written in that, right. but I just thought it really... And they were doing some similar things, you know, with the when they're on Counter-Earth and he wants her to get on the motorbike because they're, oh, they're just going to go back to the ship and all of that stuff. It's exactly the same kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, it just worked. worked for me, yeah. Interesting, because it didn't work for me because I felt we'd already had it and it didn't work the first time and I didn't oh, enjoy these two characters being together and I kind of didn't enjoy any moment they were doing something. Oh. Um, I, I liked where their stories ended up and I can see what they did to get us to that point mm. but I don't yeah, this is a hangover from the fact I don't think they worked in Guardians 2 I don't think they worked in the Holiday Special I don't think they worked here however mm. I'm going to follow up with my favourite thing any moment Karen Gillan is on screen because <laughs> she is having so much fun she is enjoying everything she gets to do here and even when it is her dealing with Mantis and Drax doing stuff that I don't really like, it, it is all adding to everyone's character arc in this whole piece. Mm-hmm. And and she is delivering everything I might want her to deliver from this. And, and you know, Karen Gillan, who is largely forgettable in other things. I think she's clearly really good, similar to the Chris Pratt thing. I think if I'm in those Jumanji films, she's there because... She was in those. You're she's right, there because she she's got those. a skinny tummy and nice legs, I think. Like, oh, no, she's good in it. She's thriving. she's up there I with Chris Pratt. She's as good as she is here. No, in these she's so I strong. Amy Pond had some great moments. Amy Pond had some great moments. And and yeah, again, it's like him in Parks and Rec, Very her, her so. in Doctor yeah. Who, really good. And I would agree. Mm. I I think she really gets to be much more, and I think that she is great at playing much more. And I don't think, generally speaking, she gets to be a lot in mm. things. She she usually plays quite sort of mimsy. Well, this is why I wonder if if all the makeup and, and prosthetics actually help her go into the character more. Because mm. it's a different voice, it's a different performance and delivery than I think we get elsewhere with her. Was that, um, again, I've just read so many interviews and things going into this, but the thing about when she auditioned and she just did a kind of standard... Um, she did her own accent mm. for it, and um, James Gunn said to her, "Try being more Clint Eastwood." <laughs> and I just, and I think that ever since you can really, I think she really just suddenly got a handle on that, mm. Mm. and I, I love that. I just, yeah, I think she 
deserves to do a lot more. I feel like she has done sort of some more indie things that I've not seen. And I've definitely seen like the vestiges of Doctor Who fandom talk about her in other roles with great enthusiasm. But That milkshake film wasn't good, but she wasn't bad at it. She was very enjoyable in that, yes. Mm. But then it also had Michelle Yeoh and... Yeah. Carla get another, another and, one of those films yeah. you're like why has this not worked because look who's in it <laughs> because sometimes a cast is not <sighs> enough no I know and I suppose that's the thing um, I was just going to say how nice to have a Marvel thing where not just one of us but Matthew specifically is delighted that it did the thing that was he wanted it to do mm. just I think and I, I think there's really something nice after that these are supposed to be these kind of really mainstream franchise films and so often we're sitting there going but why didn't you just not do that thing and instead mm-hmm. <laughs> and how nice uh, to have a film that just does the thing you want it to do and delivers on it yeah by mm. doing it well and yeah. i think maybe sometimes that these things are so big and they, and they have so much demand placed on them that sometimes they skip out on on the obvious things or the things that would genuinely be rewarding because they double think it and they don't want to be sort of predictable or whatever, forgetting that mm-hmm. actually that can be its own reward. Sometimes you actually need to deliver. Yeah. You can't just make people guess, yeah. Yeah, or you can't mm-hmm. make people think ahead and then, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not all about foxing people. Yeah. Although I suppose, mm-hmm. as I say, the thing that I really liked about this is that no one died and I didn't see that coming. But that's a long setup. Yeah, I, yeah. I I don't think I'm quite at the stage where I can I can confidently believe that. Oh, we're back on track now because the big problem is this is a very James Gunn film, yeah. and he's leaving. Where Where is he <laughs> to leaving the, to go to? To run the competition. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that that's kind of a, a big problem for Marvel in a way. And again. People saying, you know, James Gunn gets to make the Marvel films that he wants to make, whereas other people have to make the Marvel films Marvel wants them to make. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I don't know whether he just runs a particularly tight ship or no one can complain or he does the numbers. I don't know what it is. But it does feel like everyone else has a lot more to contend with. Yeah, I, I think particularly with this one, with him then coming back, I think it would have been on the basis that he gets to make the film he wants to make. But I don't think we would have seen... So... Yeah, yeah, I just don't think we would have seen things like the, the face rip and the F1 no, and what have you. Um, but we've got Marvels next, I think, isn't it? The Marvels. Mm, yeah. um, which I'm not going to go into any detail because I know some of us are still trailer avoidant. I haven't seen the trailers for it. It looks good. Ones. Is it really? Well, I'm it glad does to look hear good. It. Mm-hmm. This is one where I have, for a change, not watched the trailers. Mm. So, mostly because I'm worried yeah. that she's not going to keep the hair. <laughs> um, so yeah looking forward to that one and hopefully Secret Invasion before that Exciting. hopefully Loki 2 at some stage but we don't know that seems to be getting pushed and pushed because that was yeah. supposed to be April and at one point February yeah November yeah. for the Marvels so we should have yeah. two or three TV shows in that time Ooh. well I don't know because we've got um, I suppose it depends how far along they are with things we've got the, the, the writer strike mm-hmm um, I don't know that they will have been written, mm. but if there's still a production to do, you know, they quite often do rewrites and what have you, don't they? Mm. Um, so I don't know. I think we'll get Secret Invasion. I'm just not sure after that. And I don't know if they're holding back Loki 2 while they work out, because I'm guessing Kang's in it a lot from mm. 
what we've seen, and so that's the whole yeah, thing, which we won't see. get to now. We will no. save that yeah. for our... Yeah. Uh, um, let's say quadrophenia pod. We are not doing a quadrophenia. Pod. Are we not? Okay. Well, you guys can. I'm not <laughs> on a quadratic uh, equation pl- pod. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to cover? I mean, I could say so much more, but I won't. I think we could, I'm... Just li- we could all leave and just leave it recording. <laughs> and just, send just it a monologue. <laughs> you come back in like three days and it'll just still be enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just, I, I really just couldn't understand how it was going to work. It, it's been such a meaningful trilogy for me, and I still think the second one is, is the, I think it's the best film, and I think it's my favourite. But mm. I'm going to watch this a lot and enjoy it, and I'm just very, very grateful to have invested so much in this and not have it spoiled. <laughs> Isn't mm. that nice? Mm. Nice, just enjoy. And actually, the thing I meant to mention when I was talking about the the heaven sequence, Linda Cardellini, oh as, yes, as the otter, um, whose name I now can't remember, Lila. Lila, Lila. Thank you very much. I was kind of delighted because seeing her in the credits, I'm like, wait, isn't she Hawkeye's wife? Yeah, double. How is this? Factor. How is this going to work? What? Where is this film going? And I started spinning off into all these things. And then it's like, oh, well, she's the voice. Okay, that's fine. But that was an exciting little tease, you know, for what might come. So. Well, and that's- Lila is a variant of Laura Hawkeye. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So, uh, Similar name. But where I say things like, it's a shame they wasted Elizabeth Debicki, clearly they will use act- actors for multiple parts. So, it, I mean, fingers crossed she rocks up again, because she's awesome, I love her and everything. Uh, yeah, they did the um, the voice actors did the performance capture as well, those animals. Mm. So that was cool. Yeah, no, um, it was also- Sean Gunn for all of Rocket, and yeah. one of the young Rockets as well, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also not the only double character was one of the other voices of someone we've seen before. Yes, who was Floor? No, no, not Floor. Oh, War Pig. Oh, oh, was Judy Greer. Ah. Mm. So which one was um, Pete Davison? Um, uh, another one. Another one with the, with the fa- yeah in um with the face. With the face in the thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> did he keep his face or did it come off? It's on oh, James Gunn's oh, Instagram. The, the creature thing. Yes. Oh, was it like okay. the blobby creature? Mm, yes, maybe. Uh, that would make sense. Yes. Uh, who voiced Raw? I thought that was someone we knew. It is. It is someone. I didn't. I can, well, it's someone, but mm. I didn't recognise them. I had it a second ago. It was right here in front of me. Oh, Michaela Hoover. Oh, yes. No, Michaela Hoover. Who is the? You remember Guardians? Do you remember Guardians one? Little bit. Do you remember Glenn Close is in it? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember she has an assistant who's incredibly pretty? No. That's that's the girl who voiced Flo. Funny you two remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really striking. She's just there in this scene, stood next to Glenn Close. It's uh-huh. like, why is she just so made up? <laughs> like with the hair and stuff. Why is? <laughs> Because we also got some of um, Gunn's cast of characters. Cause I well, we're, yeah, talking talk about but... found family. <laughs> yeah, we've got Ratcatcher 2 from mm-hmm. The Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And oh, I'm blanking, but Nathan whatever, Fillion. the woman from... Oh, okay. oh no, actually, I was going to say the woman from Peacemaker. James Gunn's is... wife. Is that James Gunn's wife? The controller. Is that his wife? Is it? Jennifer I didn't know or something. 
Wait, what? Who is this? Wait, Wait. What, what character did she play? The she played one with the, the white head suit. Who was talking to Nathan Fillion to say, there's a problem, you need to go to sector, what have you. Uh-huh. And she played the agent, the blonde agent in Peacemaker. Yeah. Jenna ah. Holland. That's, that's his wife. Oh, so, uh, married, married 2022. That's right. Oh, lovely. Yes. Beautiful dress. Well, I, I hear they had some lovely music at their wedding. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they they lips. met yeah. they met through Michael Rosenbaum, who who was uh, I want to say he was Lex Luthor in Smallville. Yeah, he was Lex Luthor in Smallville, and is in this film as Martin X, whichever one Martin X is. No so so you know we're talking found family. James got and I I do love a director who brings his actors with him. Mm-hmm. I know? do. Yeah. I really do. He finally found a place for Nathan Fillion. Yeah, it mm. was it was really good to see that. I do love that Michael Rooker got a two-second yeah, right. Yondu moment. He's <laughs> getting a paycheck. <laughs> if James Gunn is making a film, Michael yeah. Rooker's getting paid. Did they put him in the makeup for that, or is that just taken from one of the other films? I suspect he was a bit of makeup for it. Okay. I would imagine. Right. Time has moved on. It has. And I fear if we continue, Abby will get on a streak. I'm already losing my voice. (laughs) Oh, oh, thank God. In the nicest possible way. (laughs) Um, So that's it for the Guardians for now and maybe forever. But we're going to be back soon with our catch-up pod on Ant-Man Quantumania. You have no idea how much it upsets me that we are out of order. But... Um, the chaos will be maintained. Uh, maintained. The chaos will be reined in, and we will get back on track. Uh, until then, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. Marvelous.